we're honored to have Michael Hinton today. Uh, Michael is a pastor at High Desert Church uh, up in uh, Victorville and been there for several years. Michael and I met a couple of years ago. He's been down in real life to speak and and we just think very highly of him. He's become a friend over the past few years. And so uh, honored to have him with us. Uh, Michael, um, I just want to jump right into it. Um, you are uh, obviously an African-American individual living in America during these times, um, but you're young. So a lot of the things that you're experiencing you know, you can't hearken back to earlier days when the church went through civil rights or went through other things like that. This is all kind of fresh for you, which for a lot of our, our people that are in the millennial generation or even Gen Z, they're kind of living this for the first time as well. Just let's just start right there before we even get into pastoral issues and all that. How are you dealing with this? I mean, what are you sensing or feeling as a black man in America? Yeah, thanks, Rusty. Appreciate having me on. Um, that's a really great question. I think, you know, part of me, I think we naturally, as a as a black person, I, I carry that burden. You know, it, it was instilled in me as a young kid. You know, my mom would tell me the things that she endured um, when she was my age, and so you kind of you kind of start learning about it from your, 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 your family. They tell you these things. And then you see, you know, you see stuff in the history books and classes and you, 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 you quickly realize that what you're reading in the history book versus what your parents are telling you, it doesn't match up. There's some things that are missing. And, uh, and so then you start learning more about that through your relationships um, I've been fortunate enough, I think for myself, is that um, in my upbringing, I was surrounded in the, com- the small community I grew up in in Florida. Uh, it was a very, very diverse um, community. And actually, um, uh, white people were the minority in this community. And so I grew up around a really good set of white people who really, really took me in and, and treated me as their own and, and helped me, uh, you know, prosper and become, a, you know, the person I am today. I, I really owe it. There's seven people um, that I could list off right now off the top of my head that um, I really owe a lot of what I was able to become because of them. And so for me, it's it's a mixture. I, I, I on one part, completely understand um, just the pain and the anger and the confusion and the fear because I feel all of those same things. But I also feel for my white brothers and sisters too, because I know that that this this generation, you know, we you, they weren't responsible for slavery. They weren't responsible for for the, the everything that happened during the civil rights movement. They weren't responsible for the the broken system that was built and that we still live on, you know. And they're trying to they're, they're you know I hear quite often it's like I don't understand why I'm being blamed for something I didn't do. And I totally get that. And so I think, I think me, you, you may ask anybody else, but me, I personally, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a rip in me because I feel it from my black heritage, but I also feel it for my white brothers and sisters as well, too. Well, that's, that's so well said. And I think that's the tension that a lot of us are living in. And um, you saw the conversation that I had with uh, Anthony Hendricks yesterday and just this, this idea of reconciliation of, listen, I didn't do it, but I'm sorry for it. 
kind of yeah. the mentality. Um, yeah. And he talked a lot about the broken system as well. Can you speak into that a little bit? What's broken that we don't understand? Yeah. So, you know, just as we, just as I said before, you know, it, sometimes I think the argument to, of the broken system is a little unfair about, you know, we, they te- we tend to go back to slavery. And I, I totally hear my, my brothers and sisters who are white who say that's an unfair argument, but you have to start there, right? So, you know, you had a, a people group who were brought in and were told that your, your skin color makes you inferior to, to, to white people. And so you're going to be our slaves. You're going to work for us for free. And this is how it's going to be. Well, then the Emancipation Proclamation came in and slave, slaves were supposed to be free and they were supposed to be given, if you've never read the book, um, 40, uh, uh, 40 Acres and a Mule, um, it's a great book. You know, they were given, initially they were given the 40 acres, right? And then, and the mule, but then <laughs> the South came back and then a year later and took it all back and basically, you know, re-enslaved them under the premise that they would be uh, apprentices and, and, and I'm teaching them how to, to, to work, but really they got back in the field. So as America began to progress more and more and more, I kind of hearken it to like, think about a a wound. Okay. Think about a wound, right? It's gay. It's gaping. It's, it's, it's bad. It's nasty. And what we've done is we've just put band-aids over the wound. And as America began to progress, we've just put band-aids and band-aids and band-aids, but within the band-aid, the wound is still wide open and it's seeping through the band-aid. And so as we get to today's age, when you ask about the broken system, you're talking about inequalities of, you know, policing um, in a sense of of how some of the the tactics are still very old, still very much old policing tactics that are used to um, police the black community. Um, You're talking about the, 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 um, the way that job selection and job recruiting, um, you're talking about black communities that don't have great funding because of the, you know, whatever the state education system works. And so, you know, kids are going to schools that are underfunded and, and they don't have the best teachers. And so they're not receiving the same type of education. And even within the education, I read a story the other day and, um, and I, I've actually been a not a victim, I won't use that word victim, but I've been a part of this is where, you know, a a student, very high test scores, but the teacher who happened to be white and the the student happened to be black, the teacher would not give the recommendation because the teacher believed that the student wouldn't succeed in a gifted program. And I had that very same thing happen to me. And it took, you know, some, some, some intervention in order to get me into the gifted program. And so you, you have just, just, over inequalities that have stemmed from a long, long history of band-aided, um, um, band-aided uh, uh, things to try to cover them. And so, while re- while racism isn't as um, out there as it as it was in the in the sixties during the civil rights movement, as it was, you know, before that, it's 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 overt now. Mm. Well, that, that actually clarifies things quite a bit, and, and I love your analogy there. Um, okay, now I want to dive into uh, the fact that you are a pastor, okay? Yeah. And here you are, you're shepherding, we use that term a lot in pastor land, you're shepherding your flock, your people, and amongst those people, you have minorities, 
Um, But you also have police officers, first responders. You have people that are nervous about, you know, protests and rioting and that kind of thing. How do you walk that line uh, of, of recognizing, and this is the, I hate to even say this, but they're, you know, the whole idea of, you know what, it's not black lives that matter, all lives matter. And I, I get that, but I think what black lives matter is trying to say is black lives matter too. They matter as well. And in, in this situation, I mean, certainly with what's going on in the streets right now and uh, Antifa trying to, you know, take this, uh, this idea over and make it their own. How do you walk that line of reaching out to the minority community, um, which you obviously strongly connect with, but then yeah. also first responders as well? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a tremendous question. And you're right, we have a mixture of, you know, minorities at our campus, we have white, we have our the campus I lead is um, our broadcast campus. And it, it is a, it is a what I call the salad bowl. It is every race known to man that goes through our, our campus. And as well as we have our sheriff's department police officers that attend as well. And so let me let me begin where you kind of started there with the all lives matter, because I think this helps frame the conversation so you know when people say you know to as as a response to black lives matter well all lives matter well they're absolutely right all lives matter and i heard a really great analogy that i think puts it in in a really good perspective is that if you're if you're at your cul-de-sac uh your cul-de-sac rusty and you look at all the houses and your neighbor runs out and his house is on fire and he says to you, oh, my gosh, help, help, help. My house is on fire. You know, my house matters. And you respond, well, all houses matter. Well, the fire department isn't going to show up and start spraying every single house. They're going to spray the house that's on fire because that's the house that needs attention. Now, all the houses are important, but that house is the house that's on fire. And so the, that's the house that the fire department is going to spray. So in the same way, all life matters. Black lives matter, Asian lives matter, Japanese lives matter, uh, Hispanic lives matter, white lives matter, police lives matter. They all matter. But at this moment in time, I think to me, there are two groups of people that we we really should be focusing on right now. And that's the black lives and that's the police lives. I want to acknowledge to all of our police officers out there. And I think as at any pastor, as you get up to Um, to talk about this, that you first and foremost, please acknowledge the great work that our police officers are doing. They put their lives on the line every single day um, for you and I so that we can have a safe community. I mean, their, their whole mantra, every police officer mantra is to what? Protect and serve. And so, man, they're doing a tremendous job at doing that. At the same time, you know, as a church, we cannot be afraid to call out sin, right? We always talk about that as pastors. We can't be afraid to call out sin. And we can't be afraid to call out sin when it has to do with, um, with the illegal actions of certain police officers. Now, one of the things I would caution church pastors to do is to make sure to be specific in their call. Don't just generalize the call, like, oh yeah, police department brutality, police brutality is just 
horrible. Police are doing bad things and they're not. No, 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 no. Because that doesn't help the conversation. So when you, when you make that call, you know, you know, specifically say, you know, the minute the Minneapolis police officer and maybe maybe not you use his name, but specifically say that and say his actions were wrong. The actions of the, the three or four that watched were wrong. And I think when we do that, when we when we specify who we're talking about, we are we're acknowledging to our brethren and sisters who are police officers that we know that this is not you. We know that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing it the right way. You're doing it with integrity. But we also know that there are some among you who are not doing it the right way. And our job as followers of Christ is to call out those inequalities, is to say, this is not, this is not kingdom. Like, this doesn't help the kingdom. This is actually destroying the kingdom. I think another thing, Rusty, and, and, and you may or may not agree with me on this. This is just a, a stance that I've, I've recently come to believe is I also want to caution pastors to be very careful about automatically saying the act of that police officer or that police officer was a racist act. And here's what I mean. I don't know the heart of that police officer. I don't know what he was thinking. I can only look at the timestamp of the video and how long it took to decide very quickly that what he did was wrong. And, and he had no regard for that gentleman's life. But I don't know that his um, act was a racist act. Now, if we're talking about, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, that situation, well, we can clearly see that those two gentlemen, what they did, and based on the not one call and the evidence presented that that was a racist act. It made it very clear. But what that police did, uh, what that police officer did in Minneapolis, what the police officers did in um, Louisville, Kentucky, like I, I would just caution us to be very um, slow to deem something racist. We can call out the injustice of it. We can call out the 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 um, the complete disregard of life for it but i would just be so careful because i think when we just start slapping that title racist on everything it really dilutes the conversation does that make sense yeah that's that's really well said and you're right and and anthony talked about that a little bit yesterday of you know the the, the classification of racism is always attached with evil and uh, sometimes they're they're not connected. Um, and in this case, we don't know. We can just see the fruit of of the poisonous tree. I guess you could say there. So uh, that that's that's very helpful. And uh, certainly for all of our first responders and police officers, um, you know, we we value what you do and are so grateful for you and the ability to go out and to have a demonstration while protected yeah. is uh, one of the most American things we can do. Um, it's obviously when it gets out of hand and when uh, activist groups show up to uh, incite chaos, that's when it gets crazy. So, right. Michael, um, as a pastor, what do we do now? You know, you're looking at your community. you got to stand up in front of them and say, here's what's next. Um, everybody wants to fix things. Nobody knows how. There's no quick fix for it. What can be done? Yeah. Well, let me, let me preface your question this way. Uh, or my answer is, and I've been saying this since I got into ministry, is we're not going to solve the rate. We're not going to solve racism or the race debate 
um, and on this side of heaven. So let's go ahead and set that foundation. This is not, Andy Stanley says, this is, you know, attention to be managed, right? This is not attention to be solved. This is attention to be managed. We're not going to solve this on this side of heaven. But what we can do is we can do everything we can in our relational worlds. So the people that we are constantly around, the people that we do life with, we can do everything we can to be kingdom minded. So what do I mean by that? Well, what that means is, so Rusty, you're in my relational world. And if we're having a conversation and I say something racially insensitive, or you say something racially insensitive, as a brother in Christ, I should not be afraid to say, Rusty, help me understand why you said what you said. And then I should listen. I should listen to why you said what you said. And you might, in revealing why you said what you said, realize that what you said was wrong, but I should listen. And then I should share with you why I thought that was offensive to me or my people, Black community, or why you thought it was offensive to, to your, your um, background as well. And that's going to be the, that's just the easiest thing we can do. I hate to use the term policing, but maybe the better word is influence. We should be influential in, in our relational worlds to make sure that me and the people around me are treating everyone not just people of color, but everyone with the respect and the dignity and the God-given equal worthy value that they deserve, regardless of who they are and where they come from. I also think I'll say the next thing that I thought was really a really great idea that my, uh, my student pastor has recommended to me and that, I've, that I'm recommending to our church. Um, J.D. Greer is a pastor at Summit Church in North Carolina, a fantastic, um, fantastic person in a fantastic church. And one of the things that they've done, they started, uh, I think a while ago is they created a, a commission. Um, and this commission consisted of current staff members on their team of all different races and their staff met that commission would then have meetings and they would meet and they would have these really hard and difficult conversations. And out of those conversations, they would bring recommendation to to the leadership of the church for staff development, for discipleship development, and for church um, church awareness to have to, to promote these conversations, to create avenues for people to sit down at a table and have this, to continue to develop church staff members on you know the inequalities and how to find them and how to look for them in the right way, the right way. To, to stand up to these things, the kinds of books that we want to be having people read, the kind of conversations. I mean, they even created a really great curriculum for kids and families to walk their kids through, you know, what does this look like for the kingdom? At the end of the day, Rusty, I've said this many times and I'll continue saying this, is that racism and racial inequality and injustice is not just a black community problem and it's not just a white community problem. It is a kingdom problem. And so as churches, we have to do everything we can, everything we can, just as we would do for, you know, conversations of other types of sin. We have to do the same thing for this. We cannot be afraid and we cannot run from it. But those would be the two biggest things that I would say as, as good next steps. And, and if I can say one more thing, Rusty, mm-hmm. I want to caution, I want to caution 
my white brothers who, and sisters who are in ministry. And I also want to caution my black brothers and sisters who are in ministry who serve in predominantly white contexts. It can be very easy, and I felt this pressure as well. It can be very easy for um, if you are a black male or female in a white church on staff to want to push so much on your leadership and your church to start doing all these things mm-hmm. to have a racial conversation and to have all of the, you know, just to get it started and going. I want you to do this and this and this and this. Slow down. Slow down. One thing that, that, that we have to realize is that this is a hard conversation. I, I, I'm, I'm really, it's really dawning on me more so than ever now that this is not just a difficult conversation for the black community. It's a difficult conversation for the white community. And we have to be very careful and slow to make sure we build genuine relationships and that the, the, the avenues by which we're recommending our churches go through are well thought out and well intentioned. Because what we don't want to do is to blow up the balloon and then it pops and nothing comes of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. Well, that's that's really good. Um, I, I think about, you know, the, <laughs> the knee jerk reaction every pastor is having this week is let's just fix it. Let's make sure we don't appear to be racist. Um, and do all that we possibly can. And my fear is that in a few weeks, we're not talking about this anymore. So uh, I, I like what you're saying there. Slow your roll. Let's, uh, let's talk about this, you know, uh, slowly, but steadily. Yes. Um, much like what happened last year with the Me Too movement. Yep. And we began to see uh, some inequalities there and how we can fix things. It was a long conversation in the right direction. And I think this one, uh, boy, I hope. I hope we are able to finally have that. So, sure. Michael, thank you, as always, uh, for your input and uh, just what you mean to, to Real Life Church Ministries and looking forward to having you back soon. And, uh, uh, man, appreciate what you're doing. So be safe and take care of your people. Yeah, Rusty, I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it so much what you as a brother, a white brother, um, mean to me. You mean so much to me. You've spoken in my life and what Real Life is doing. So proud to say um, that, you know, Real Life is such a great church for all races to be a part of and attend. Um, you know, I, I hope other churches will look to what you guys are doing and, and, and how you guys are, are walking in this and, and, and emulate that as well, too. So, yeah, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much.